welcome to Conversations with Achievers. I'm your host, Robert White. I'm a mentor to owners, executives, and their teams, and CEO of Extraordinary People, LLC. I work with people that want to create extraordinary business performance with less stress, more joy, and more personal fulfillment. So sit back, relax, and prepare to learn from your peers as we explore what it takes in terms of attitudes, habits, and behaviors that achieve extraordinary results. Results for yourself, for your family, and your community. Hello and welcome. We have an exciting guest today and that we can all learn from. Uh, Josh Tapp is a friend, a uh, contributor to me in many, many ways. And uh, hopefully I've been a little bit of a contributor to him and his world. Uh, one of Josh's many accomplishments, he's a serial entrepreneur. It's, it's, uh, he's got the bug, that's clear. <laughs> but he, uh, he also does a podcast that is called The Lucky Titan. And it's one of the top 25 in terms of listeners, uh, top 25 podcasts uh, around marketing. And that's kind of one of the things that I want to uh, dig into with uh, Josh. Josh Tapp, welcome to uh, uh, the Conversations with Achievers. Yeah, this is, this is amazing. I, I love your, your format because it leaves it so open. Like you can have some really fun conversations. I sometimes shoot myself in the foot by only interviewing entrepreneurs. You could bring on some really cool people into this. To this I, place. Uh, I, you know, this is targeted to business people. So we attempt to kind of put the guardrails in around uh, business problems and solutions and, yeah. uh, and personal stories about that adventure called being an entrepreneur or yeah. being an entrepreneur in a big company. You know, I think quite often uh, I know that we have listeners that are in larger organizations, but they're in organizations that are up to something. They're yeah. up to they're up to growth. They're up to being innovative and creative, and yeah. uh, uh, and they're looking for other people like you that have been out there uh, fighting the good fight and contributing in many many different ways. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit in terms of background and uh, you I know bet. not every single detail perhaps, but enough so people get to know you a little bit. <laughs> Well, I was born in Idaho Falls. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. So honestly, and I appreciate that intro, Robert. It's like, I, I, I am what you would call a serial entrepreneur, but it's not because I'm anything spectacular. It's simply because I was raised by entrepreneurs. I, I'm a fifth generation entrepreneur, but my father and grandfather were not very successful. My great grandfather was one of the richest people in Texas back with like the Rockefellers and everything. Um, I wish he was a Rockefeller. I'd, I'd probably be better off now. Right. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, I, I've, I've made many different businesses. I mean, my first company I started, I was 10 years old. I was trying to sell things on the side of the street and get my friends to buy things. I was the kid who was always like hawking somebody else's crap on at high school, you know, like try, trying to be, trying to be the guy out there learning how to, to make money. Right. And I think part of that came from being in poverty. But the story I love telling is, is uh, even though my father was not financially successful, he was such a successful guy because of the way that he helped me realize how important entrepreneurship is. And that entrepreneurship isn't just a career choice. It's an actual calling. You know, whether you believe in God, the universe, whatever it is, I just believe that there are people who are called here on this earth to make a change and to provide real value to the world. And the way my father helped me do that is 
when I was about 13 or 14, I believe, um, he had a construction company. He'd pay us to come out and do construction. And I, to this day, still despise lifting a hammer or doing anything. <laughs> if you ever ask me to sand something, I'll slap you, right? I, I hate, hate sanding wood. Um, funniest thing about that, though, is that that skill, in contrast with what he brought to the table to me, is he said, hey, Josh, if you will read a business book and you will come and report to me, I'll pay you. I think it was like 30 or $60, something like that. And at the time I'm sitting here doing the math in my head. I'm like, I can read pretty fast. I, and my dad has his bookshelf with these books that are like a hundred pages. I'm like, I can make 60 bucks in like an hour and a half. So I went through and picked all the smallest books off of his shelf and started like pounding them. Right. And my father, even though he wasn't a wealthy man and he didn't ever call me out on reading the smallest ones. Cause I think he knew he's like, if I can get him on this journey, just watch what happens. And truth be told is, is in those books, uh, those first few books, the very first one I read was The Richest Man in Babylon. If you guys have ever read that book, yeah. you'll go look at it and you'll see why I read it. Cause it was like, it's like a hundred pages. It's a very, very small uh, book, but that book is still to this day, one of my all-time favorites because it helped me understand how money works and how to actually make, um, make real money. It's, it's a really interesting book. So I'd highly recommend that one. And that, that change, that shift for me helped redirect me in, in the, it helped me realize that business isn't just money. It's, it's actually providing the biggest value. The more value you provide, the more money that you, you receive in return. And that people who are wealthy have problems, same as people who don't have money. And so why not serve the people who do have money? Because you can solve a bigger problem, get paid more, and then you can roll that money into helping people who don't have money. So that's, that's ultimately, I would say, is, is my persona in the entrepreneurship world. Well, wow, there's actually a lot of wisdom in what you just said, and particularly around uh, raising children and how you were raised. I think yeah. we would all do well to expose young people to uh, capitalism, to entrepreneurship, to uh, how money gets made and spent and wasted. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, uh, you know I, work, I, I think you know this, I work, I mentor executives and- yeah. Uh, it's an interesting pattern that I've noticed is that all of them justify hiring me, I think, for financial reasons or to have their team work more effectively. And for a lot of reasons like that, business reasons, almost always three to four months into the engagement, they will bring up uh, something about either their marriage or adult children, young adult children or teenagers. That, uh, that they are experiencing stress or experiencing some disconnect in terms of communication or something's not working. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people could benefit by uh, uh, read the right book, Bribery System. So good on you, good on your father. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I, to this day, still thank my, my father for that because he's it was a very intentional practice. But I love that you bring that up about the way, I mean, I think people who want to be business coaches don't realize like you also have to double as a therapist because they will come to you and say, my marriage is in shambles. And you have to be able to give them counsel. That's not just, well, it'll help your ROI if you get divorced, you know, like <laughs> that they wouldn't because you'd lose half of everything. But anyways, moral of the story is like, I, I love that, that you bring that point up. I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, that's why coaching is actually really again, going back to the calling is a calling of people who have real empathy for people. It can be well, very difficult. It, it, uh, it, it's, it's enough of a pattern where I, I kind of just 
roll with it and and help in any way that I can. You know, I think you're aware I spent 23 years of my working life abroad in Asia. Yeah. And I know just enough about Zen to be dangerous. It's an old line, yeah. but, but true. And one of the Zen expressions is that fish don't describe water very well. You know, whatever we are swimming in, we tend not to really notice it and uh, to notice its temperature, to notice its, its appearance, to notice how it's communicating to you. And uh, it's not like I'm this genius and, I, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll take it the right way when I say you're not a genius, but, yeah, yep. <laughs> you're, you know, you're pretty good at noticing things and you've learned some life lessons that you can pass along. And it's the same for me. Uh, I've learned the most from failure. I don't know about you. I wanted to ask you, you know, in your role with the, the two main companies that I know you're running right now and yeah. engaged with. Um, what have you found recently? And, you know, there've been a lot of changes for business people in the last few years, pretty intense yeah. ones that yeah. have a big, have a big effect on many of, of my listeners. I know, what have you noticed that work that has worked, worked? And, you know, you hear this expression about pivoting, yeah. you know, adapting all of that. What has worked for you in terms of your mindset and your actual action, your decisions? Yeah, this, that's a great question. The reason I love that question is that I also have to explain this with a story. I, I worked with these, this company. I was helping them with their podcast. This is about two years ago. And um, you know, obviously pandemic times were, were right in the, we were right in the heat of all of it. And they were looking to launch this, this app. And I'm still on the board of their company. They basically said, hey, we will pay you. But we did such a good job. They're like, Josh, keep you on the board and help us with, with other things. And so as I hopped in, and this board is, is a board of seriously, some of the most successful people in the world. And I was like, so honored to be, to be a part of the group. But what was so interesting is I looked around the room and I looked at why everybody was successful in this room. I'm talking people who've done billions and billions of dollars in sales. And I realized that each of them owned the platform. They owned the platform instead of being a cog in the machine. And it made, it just like clicked in my brain of why our success had, had started to take off was if you can own the platform, you make the money. Now that doesn't mean, Hey, go start a social media platform. That doesn't mean go start the next YouTube. It means it's, you're the one who controls the attention and creates other opportunities for other people. So what, what I found so intriguing about this is that um, I looked at my business model and I was an agency. I was a marketing agency, right? We, we advertise podcasts, we grow them, we scale them. We're good at what we do. But truth be told is that agency is just a cog in the marketing machine. It's just another service offering, right? But if we could own a platform of that provided an opportunity for other agencies and other business owners to make money and use our platform to make more money or to connect with their customers or to get the desired result that they had, we can make significantly more money. And that's what we launched the Pantheon, which is kind of our big offer, our big push that we've been pushing recently that will forever be what we do is because it is, it's a platform where we can gather people and give them an opportunity. And we just keep percentages of what's happening with everything in that platform. You, a good example of this, right? Facebook does this through social media. You have PayPal that does this. Um, there are apps that do this. I mean, if you, any of you are even familiar with Clubhouse, I, I evangelized the death of this and prophesied it from the day it started, <laughs> is that everybody was like, Clubhouse is the next big thing. But if you looked at their business model, they, they built a platform 
and they had zero revenue. They, that company never made a diamond revenue, but they sold for $4 billion. B, billion. After 12 months of launching the company and people are like, oh, they're so dumb. They're not generating revenue. Oh, X, Y, Z. It's going to be the next big thing, but they're, they're dumb because they're not generating revenue. Truth be told is their model was saying, hey, we're going to build a platform that brings people together, gives them that opportunity, and then they're just going to go sell that platform. I think they sold to Twitter or something. For, it was one of these big platforms, probably Facebook, and let's face it, they sold for $4 billion, and it's basically gone now. <laughs> it's the same thing that happened with Vine and all these other platforms. And that's, that's speaking on a high level, but what happens is they build these platforms, and they just bake in little 1% cuts in pretty much every transaction. So that, you don't even realize it's going anywhere. You're like, oh, I know I, I agree to the terms. I'm going to pay 1% of every transaction. But, but that's what I have found. I know I'm, I'm going on a rant here with, with platform, Robert, but this, this is truly like, if you're struggling in your business, it's because you haven't built a platform yet. Like he who owns the platform makes the most money. Well, that's pretty simple. Not easy, <laughs> but simple. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Concept is simple. Execution is a little bit more difficult. I remember when I had started my first little business in my 20s, I mean, I did all kinds of things like you as a kid. Uh, you know, I sold door to door. I had a newspaper route. I shoveled snow. I cleaned out milk cans. You know, I grew up in Wisconsin. The yeah, dairy I say, state. you got to have the milk cans there. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a lot of those kinds of things. And uh, But in my first business, somewhere along that line, I read something that said that, uh, there were there's no one who made money in the gold rush and that that populated uh, california yeah no gold miner has any kind of enduring wealth yeah. but levi's has done very well you yeah. know the, uh wells fargo has done very well you know the people yeah. that supplied that they were the platform of the day in a in a way. The supplier so that, that, yeah, that is like the perfect example. I'm totally going to steal that and use that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I want to set up a royalty system for things like that. But um... <laughs> <laughs> it's like anytime Josh says this, I get ten percent of his company. Okay, go. <laughs> you know something like that. Uh, but that's that's amazing. How about challenges? I mean, I'm sure you've had a few. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, can you think of one or two that is memorable and where you learned something valuable from it? Yeah, and actually, I'll share so one of my most recent ones um, because we just spent a hundred grand to hire a consultant to help us with this because I was like, I, I found a weakness of mine. And truth be told, with a lot of the companies that we've done, it's been driven majority by me out speaking, selling my selling, you know, from selling myself, that sounds horrible, actually like selling, selling <laughs> to people from myself, anyways, uh, being the salesman, and uh, being the guy who drives a lot of the revenue generation. And we've, we've had a sales team for the last like year and a half helping us with some of these other services. But I've realized that in scaling a company, when you're saying, okay, it's not just going from like, zero to a million, right? Like that's, that's really just product offer. Like getting to a million dollars is just developing a good offer and having one good person to sell it typically past a million dollars scaling to that next level. I have found comes with a whole new slew of challenges. You've got to have great systems. You've got to be able to build your company to, to actually be able to scale and handle the amount of people that are coming through the door. And we actually hit a point about, when was it? Probably like November of last year where with our agency, in order to scale, I was going to have to hire 10 new people. So we actually had to pause sales for like four months on that so that we could get the system refined 
so we could actually scale it up at a fast pace again because we kind of hit our ceiling. We're like, oh my gosh, we can't even bring on new clients, which you think people are like, oh, that's a good problem to have. It's not, it's terrifying because you have payroll to cover. <laughs> and, oh, that. Uh, yeah, just, just paying people. Um, everybody's like, oh, give me that problem, having too much business. It's, it's actually scarier than you might think. But uh, that was when we also decided to make a pivot to a new offer, right? The Pantheon, everything we're doing there. Doing that um, and, and positioning ourselves has been very, very helpful. But then as that system refined itself, I also realized part of the reason we weren't doing well is we have 20 some odd employees. Every single person in my company required two minutes of my time frequently. Mm. And I realized Josh is too involved um, because if, if literally the brand new hire is coming to me for something, I'm, I've done something wrong. <laughs> and I baked myself too much into the process. So the last four months has been a lot of, of growing and learning to delegate and hiring in consultants to help us with different pieces. Right now, I've realized one of my biggest weaknesses is training people. I, I don't think I'm patient enough to actually truly train them to, to where they need to go. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's just, this is how you do it. It's not that hard. And then they're like, okay, but what? <laughs> I don't even get the concept. Right. So that's, that's definitely been a lot of the, the uh, problems we've dealt with is that I get in the way, right. As the owner. Yes. I get that. You know, that, uh, in my bio, people often say, well, you know, that Robert founded and led these two companies, uh, with a million three hundred thousand graduates, I'm proud of that. I, I know it was a contribution. It treated me very well. That kind of success. Yeah. Uh, what's left out of it? A big piece that's left out is that uh, one of those companies, LifeSpring. Uh, you know, I only owned it six months. I mean, yeah. I founded it, I financed it a hundred percent, and it didn't work for me. And uh, so I sold it and, and went on and they went on to be very, very successful and do great work in the world. I've always been very proud of them for, for what they've accomplished, the contribution they've made to so many people. But the learning out of that was that uh, in my previous company where I worked for someone else, uh, the pioneer in the human potential movement, Alexander Everett, founded and led this company called Mind Dynamics. I was the president making sure that the business got done. What I didn't realize in starting LifeSpring is that I did not have the ability to articulate something that I now refer to as purpose, vision, values, and strategic intent, because Alexander had handled all of that, but it was unspoken. We lived it, and it worked. Uh, tremendous success. Uh, yeah. But in a startup or even in a company that's uh, shifting, pivoting, you'd better have an ability to uh, bring people along and make sure that they are in fact focused and aligned to your purpose, your vision, your values. So it's yeah. become something that I now work with clients on. But at the time, I was just uh, totally unaware of, of the importance in if you're going to scale something, you better have people that are focused, aligned and committed uh, yeah. with, you know, and and yet I was totally unconscious about it as, as a younger business person. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that comes with experience because I, I had this lady, she said this phrase once I thought was so funny. She's like, you can't see your own eyebrows. And, and I believe in that wholeheartedly because as an entrepreneur, we always feel like we're doing so well, but I get humbled weekly of man, I am not good at this still. I am not good at that still. <laughs> and it's fun to see, oh, here's what my strengths actually are. And here's what they are not. I just think what happens as entrepreneurs is we tend to 
try to just fix the problem. But I think one of the biggest, biggest lessons for me, excuse me, is that you, you can't CEO multiple companies. It's impossible. Right. And by CEO, I mean, if you're a solopreneur, I don't think you're really a CEO because there's nobody working for you, but you're a solopreneur, right? You can't do that with multiple companies. You can't chase multiple directions. I found as I've tried to chase multiple directions as the CEO or the founder or something, I cannot, I cannot have my hand in multiple things. What I found for myself, and this may not work for everybody. I don't know if this is a universal principle or just a Josh principle, but, but I found for myself, I can be on the board or I can, um, you know, I can show up and guide things. I I'm one of my core skill sets comes from my, my disc assessment. If you've ever done that is I'm the DI, right? I'm the, the visionary leader. So I'm good at pitching vision, but what will happen is I go in there and I'm like, okay, this is what's going to be. It's going to be amazing. Everybody's amped. And then I walk out of the room and they're like, okay, but how do we get there? <laughs> and so that's what exactly. I have to have somebody follow me up with here are the action steps to actually get there. We've done this very well in our own company because I have two other partners who, who do that for me. So I can come in, I can get people excited and everything, but I've realized that in other companies, I can go do that same thing. So being on their board or just being a part of the company, I can do that and I can have my hand in multiple things without having to be the guy who runs the company. Um, and quite honestly, if I were to go back, I'd try to just be the number two in a company. I'd find somebody who is really, really good at executing on something I'd say, hey, I'll be a 50-50 partner with you. And my job is to pitch vision and make sure that we're doing strategic deals. Like, that's all I would do. <laughs> you know, the uh, last year sometime, uh, I got interviewed about entrepreneurship. And I actually learned a lot about what I knew, if that makes any kind of sense. I, yes. <laughs> I hadn't thought it, you know, I hadn't thought it through. And if you get interviewed by a good interviewer, then you think it through. And then that got converted into a, an article that was fairly widely distributed. And one of the things that came up for me, and, and I see it so clearly in you, is uh, that visionary leader. And I, I've always liked uh, uh, Gino Workman's book, uh, Traction, because he talks yeah. about he talks about that distinction between the, the uh, visionary leader and the integrator, the, the COO, you know, and, you know, if you're a one-man gang, that, that you are both of those people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in, in working through that in this interview and, and then in the article that, that followed it, one of the things I realized is that for anybody running anything in a leadership role, you better learn some sales skills. And for years, my excuse, which is, you know, a valid excuse, I guess, if excuses are ever valid, is that I'm an introvert. I mean, I am wired that way. Uh, you know, I want to go back to my room after a meeting and read a book or listen to music and be alone. And uh, uh, that's not the best wiring to be a salesman, at least not a natural one. But you can go get trained. You know, that it's a skill set. And uh, one of the things that I see with uh, some of my clients is... Uh, just through force of will and hard work and intelligence, they get to some level of success without knowing how to sell. Right. Uh, and they leave a lot on the table because of that. And so uh, one of the things that I've been sorting for when I put teams together is uh, some sales ability or the willingness to get trained in that skill area just seems so very, very important. And I would agree with you 100%. And I used to fight that so hard because I thought I was horrible at selling, even though I tried and tried and tried my whole life. 
I think that people just have such a tainted view of it. And it's, it's not even mm. so much like learning it in my mind, of like learning how to be that salesman that we just believe to be the atypical salesman. It, I, I think it has to do with like learning how to actually negotiate and, and negotiation for a lot of people is like, Oh, I don't like that. But it's, it, that's actually learning how to say, what does this person need? How do I prescribe this to them? I, I love using the doctor analogy of saying, diagnose the problem, prescribe a solution. Yes. If your solution is not the best solution, I mean, you're not, you're not going to no. go to a doctor and say, Hey, I have, I have a heart problem. They're like, okay, great. I'm a knee surgeon. So how about we do a knee surgery and see if we can fix this heart problem, right? They're never going to prescribe you that. And if they did, they're probably going to be uh, not a doctor for very long. Right. <laughs> um, but, but being that prescriber and saying, you know what, I can't help you with this problem, but here's somebody else who can. And, you know, like for me, I, I'm not going to come in and consult you on how to run a like hundred million dollar company. Robert's the guy who's, who needs to help you with that, right? I know I could say, this is the guy who can help you guys because that's not my area of expertise. But if you need help with the podcast, hey, we can help you with that. We've got a, we've got a great solution for it, right? And I believe that uh, that removes the fear as an introvert from selling. I may not seem like it on camera, but I'm, I'm just like you, Robert. I, I enjoy solitude. I, I love people, but I, I love to just go sit by myself, be to my own thoughts, if I go to a group setting, I'm usually the guy hiding in the corner. Like I, I'm that same way. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, when I get on camera, I can be a little bit more enthusiastic and it's probably because we're hiding behind a camera, but introverts tend to be very good at group selling. I found they're, they're good at getting on stage, just sharing their heart. Um, but truth be told is that even if you're an introvert, there are ways to sell without feeling like you have to be you know, Grant Cardone style selling, right? Which nobody really likes that style of selling. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Josh, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast and, uh, and for all that you've contributed in the last few minutes. Uh, how can we support you? How can my listeners uh, and me personally, what are you up to and, and uh, how do people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about you and your work? Hey, I appreciate that. Um, you know, honestly, the best place to connect with me is at theluckytitan.com. Uh, something that would be very beneficial to me and to any podcaster, I'm going to say, do this for Robert, please. Go find their podcast on iTunes. Go find mine. Take one minute of your time. Leave a five-star review and leave a rating or a rating and a review with it. Just a little one or two sentence review of like, hey, this is a great show or I really liked this person. Or even if you've never listened to Robert's show, except so not really makes sense because you're listening to it now. But even if you never listened to it, just say, you know, Robert was amazing. Um, you should you should definitely go listen to him. This guy knows knows what he's doing. Those sort of reviews mean the world to podcasters. It grows their show so quickly. So definitely go do that for this show. You do it for my show as well. But you're welcome to obviously join us in our world. Thank you for the opportunity for that, Robert. You're very welcome. I uh, wish you every possible success. I love your team, people. I'm looking forward to actually working with them in the future. And uh, and I love the energy that you add to life, to me, to I think anybody that's blessed to be in your circle. So Josh, I wish <laughs> you, you every possible future success. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. All the best. Thanks so much for joining us for Conversations with Achievers. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for this weekly show, the details are at therobertwhite.com and click on podcasts. I'm looking for businessmen and women with a story to tell, stories that might benefit other owners and executives. 
If you got some value from this program, I'd really appreciate you sharing about it on social media and just mentioned www.therobertwhite.com slash podcast. Of course, subscribing means you won't miss a show and rating the podcast positively will leave Robert smiling. I'm building a movement here for leaders, leaders who want to succeed in business, succeed with their families, have fun, and contribute toward making the world a better place. It's special to me that you chose to listen. I look forward to connecting again next week. Remember, reach out to me anytime with any questions or concerns at therobertwhite.com. Bye for now.